Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, some content from a truly memorable conversation with John Geiger, who has served for almost two decades as headmaster of Eastwood Christian School in Montgomery. He spoke with me about his experience with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and provided biblically informed perspective. Then, he is a noted marriage expert and author, and Gary Thomas has released a revised edition of an earlier work that provides direction oriented toward women that can prove helpful in building and maintaining a strong marriage. Then from the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention, it's David Reeves who provides insight into what the scriptures have to say about creation, the creator, and how scientific discoveries have confirmed what has already been spoken in the Bible. Also from NRB 2018, it's Andy Bowersox of Energize Ministries. He shared about the importance of prayer, as well as the importance of pastors and church leaders taking time to rest. Material from that conversation is ahead. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, author and former art dealer Ron Hall talked with me again, coinciding with the home video release of the movie based on the book he and Denver Moore wrote, a book examining the dynamics of a relationship between a millionaire and a homeless man. They were from different backgrounds, but became united in faith. And you'll be hearing from Craig Evans, who set out on a journey to identify biblical manuscripts, a journey and the evidence he collected that provide the basis for a new one-night-only movie presentation in theaters Tuesday, April 24th. Plus, from Restored Hope Network, you'll hear from author and speaker Ann Palk. She provided some insight into legislation being fast-tracked in California that would effectively prevent the communication of biblical truth about sexuality, specifically in the area of providing help for those struggling with same-sex attraction. Finally, Tim Witter of the Parrots Television Council provides a word of caution for parents about the second season of a Netflix series that was popular with children and teens, the first season of which concluded with the suicide of its main character. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. John Geiger is the headmaster of Eastwood Christian School in Montgomery, Alabama. About a year ago, he was diagnosed with ALS. His muscles do not function as well as they once did, But his mind is unaffected and his spirit is very much alive, and he's dedicated to sharing God's truth, even in the midst of his suffering and mortality. From that recent conversation, this is John Geiger. I have really been sharing with people reflections of a dying Christian. I am, it's nothing profound, but maybe. The reason people right now have ears to hear is that they're actually listening to somebody dying say them. But I, um, I mentioned spiritual truths and how they really are coming alive to me in the midst of death. For example, When Jesus said, and uh, John recorded it in his gospel, that he is the vine and we are the branches, and then he said this little note that we're all familiar with. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Well, you know, what does that mean? Well, Bob, I'm realizing apart from muscle, 
I don't do very much. My body does nothing apart from muscle. I feel it. I see other patients. I know that my future is going to be a form of paralysis, um, a inactive lump of flesh. And that's brutally honest, but it's real. And then Jesus comes along and said, just like your muscles provide all the physical action of your body, so he provides all the spiritual reality of our lives. Apart from him, we can really do nothing eternal. Well, that's been a much more meaningful uh, passage, and I understand it in a little more personal manner these days. Also, he, um, when the Apostle Paul says, the outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. That's a beautiful verse, isn't mm, it? Mm. And, you know, anybody who's lived long enough knows you get old and you decay a little bit. But I'm on a rapid decay course, and I feel that outer man decaying. And at the same time, because of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, I feel my inner man is more alive than ever before. Mm. And I understand what Paul is saying. And it's, it's sad that our world has it flip-flopped. Well, take care of that outer man. Boy, make sure every day it's looking better, stays in shape, smells good, attractive, Keep it looking as young as you can, as long as you can. Oh, and you're in a man. Oh, well, if it decays, it decays. As long as you're making money, who cares? We're, uh, we're messed up as, as a society. But here, the Bible comes along and speaks clearly and powerfully that we carry the eternal weight of glory as our bodies crumble. Mm. John Geiger here on The Intersection. The school's website is eastwoodschool.org. Well, next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Gary Thomas. In light of the release of the updated, revised edition of his book, Sacred Influence, entitled Loving Him Well, Practical Advice on Influencing Your Husband, he discussed principles that can help strengthen marriage relationships. This is Gary Thomas. Now, there are many chapters that deal with the normal problematic issues. The largest chapter now, and this is one of the biggest changes, is uh, wives that find out their husbands are working with pornography or looking at pornography. When the book came out, I think 2004, I had a few paragraphs on that. 
Well, the high-speed Internet has launched, and it's now become hmm. a major issue in a lot of marriages. So it's now, rather than being a couple paragraphs, is actually the longest chapter in the book where I talk with experts and counselors and couples that have gone through this, how you deal with it. But at least half of the book or more just deals with general basic principles about learning to grow your marriage and helping your husband in, in that regard. And the start is about setting that spiritual foundation. Women have to understand that to influence a man, it helps to be a person of strength. And the best way for a woman to become strong is to know her identity is in God. If she doesn't feel secure in a relationship with God, she's not going to feel like she can risk rocking the boat of her marriage, so to speak. And she may not speak up. She may accept a subpar marriage just because for the fear of, well, what else am I going to do if he gets angry or if he leaves? And so we go into that, that you were strong, not because your husband proposed to you, but because your God adopted you. You have security for the future, not because your husband is contributing to the family income, but because God promises to meet all of your needs. That your self-worth isn't when your husband says you're beautiful and he still loves you, but for instance, out of Colossians 3.12, where the Bible tells us that God chose you and that God views you as dearly loved. And so it's, it's sinking those spiritual roots deep out of which a woman then can have the strength and courage to address issues in her marriage. A man should ideally, the way that things are set up, Ephesians chapter 5, the, the marriage relationship reflecting the relationship of Christ to his church, to his bride. And so there is a, a position of spiritual leadership that the man ideally is supposed to have in the relationship. However, there are marriages that do not reflect that, and a woman might have the greater spiritual sensitivity or even spiritual maturity. How does a woman deal with that without feeling that she is somehow superseding or undermining his authority? Yeah. One of the challenges in this whole regard, Bob, is when a woman says, I'd really like you to be more of a spiritual leader, and, and a lot of guys don't even know what that means. Their fathers weren't spiritual leaders. They'd never necessarily even heard a talk on it. And there's, there's some sense where they would like to have more spiritual influence in their wives' lives. And so one of the cautions I give is that if a woman becomes negative in this area, it ends up making things worse. Men, by our nature, if we don't think we can win, we don't want to compete. You know, before Sacred Marriage and my other books, Could Feed My Family, I did a lot of books with celebrities. And including some professional athletes, and I was shocked at how some of them would admit they would never take up the game of golf because if they couldn't excel at it, they didn't even want to play it. So one of the worst things a wife can do is if she feels that she's so disappointed with her husband and she colors him with that disappointment, so he just stops even trying. He says, look, I'm not ever going to please her, but I can excel on the golf course. I can excel at work. I can get the biggest buck, I can catch the biggest trout, I can rebuild that car. Whatever it is that draws the guy's interest and builds his ego, that's where he's going to go. So number one, make sure you don't push him into that place where he says, I've tried, I can't please her, now I'm even going to stop. Number two, though, set him up for success. Instead of just using this general word, spiritual leader, make it something that is easily understood and accomplished. Honey, you know, I'm going to talk to my mom later today, and it's never going very well, and our relationship is just a bit strained. Will you just pray for me right now that, that God will open up the doors, he will give me patience, he will give me understanding? Most guys say, well, I can do that. 
I don't know, spiritually, I, I could pray for you for your call with your mom. Then after that call, you say to him, honey, that was so helpful. really felt like you were behind me. I felt like you were supporting me. That starts to build on feelings of success. So there's just some common ways. Instead of giving him things that he may not even understand, you're giving him a greater, well, just a more specific task that he can get done and that he can excel at. Gary Thomas here on The Intersection. His website address is GaryThomas.com. We now go to the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. David Reeves joined me of David Reeves Ministries. He is the author of The Bible Knows Best Resources. He offered his biblical perspective on matters related to creation. From that conversation, this is David Reeves. Now, if I could just give a quick example from the book. Uh, This is from one of my top talks that I give in churches around the country. It basically, there was this this naval commander, and his name was Matthew Fontaine Maury. He was known as Pathfinder of the Seas. Okay, now the story goes that he was extremely ill one day, and he was laying in bed. Well, his daughter comes in with a Bible, and she opens it up, and she says, I'm going to read you some scripture. So she happens to flip to Psalm 8. Now, Psalm 8 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than, than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor. Whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas, O Lord our Lord, how excellent is thy name. Now, Matthew sat up in bed at that point, and he said, Paths of the seas? He's a naval commander. Mm-hmm. He said, Paths? What is that uh, yeah, mean? What is, yeah. He said, If I ever get out of this bed, if I ever get over this illness, I'm going to figure out what it means. So instead of brushing it aside and saying it must be some archaic principle written by ancient writers who didn't know what they were talking about, he took it as the Word of God, inspired. And he committed his life effort to tracking the ocean currents and the paths of the seas that ships still follow to this day. Now, there's a monument in Virginia erected in his honor, in Matthew's honor, and it says, Matthew Fontaine Mari, Pathfinder of the Seas, the genius who first snatched from the oceans and atmospheres the secret of their laws, but his inspiration, holy writ. I would say, Bible knows best. Wonderful story. So share with me a couple more of these, these scientists whom you know, we obviously owe a lot to as far as how we regard science in general, the learning and the application of and science. But again, like you say, you have so many of these great scientists that were guided by some, some form of a biblical worldview perspective. They were. Seems. And yeah. Most of the greatest scientists of all time, we're talking about Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, uh, all of these, they were strong believers in a creator. Now, they had many different theological opinions and all of that, but they instinctively knew that this was no, no accident, that yeah. it couldn't have happened by chance. In fact, Kepler, looking through telescopes, he's looking through these telescopes for the first time, new technology at the time, and he's saying, I'm seeing things through these telescopes that have never been observed for the last 6,000 years. In other words, he's saying that the Lord is revealing to him things that hasn't been seen since the creation. But what does Romans tell us? It says that from the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. So even the very technology that we create is pointing us back to the creator, to the God of the Bible. Now, if you were walking through the woods and you you happened upon a, a clearing and there was this cabin sitting in the clearing, well, the first thing that pops into your head, obviously, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is, well, 
a tornado must have torn through the woods there, and it chopped down a bunch of trees. The trees fell in the shape of a cabin, right? <laughs> no. There's a passage. First thing I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we know that's ridiculous. Yeah. We instinctively know that. An atheist would say that's ridiculous as well. He would instinctively know that. There's a passage in the Bible that says that every house is built by some man, but he who built all things is God. So just as we would find it ridiculous that a house self-built itself, when we look at ourselves, fearfully and wonderfully made, our cells are more complex than the metropolitan area of Nashville that we're in right now, then we realize that 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 couldn't have happened. It had to have had a designer, a creator. And then you have to ask yourself the question, who is that designer? Who Who is the creator? Is it aliens? No, it's the God of the Bible. He told us exactly how he did it in his word. David Reeves joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio, taking a journey through time and space this afternoon. I bet you you have science fiction buffs that really love your stuff, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's a, a passion of mine to share these scientific principles. It started with astronomy, but now yeah. I realize everywhere we look, biology, geology, astronomy, astrophysics, everywhere, even paleontology and dinosaurs, they're all pointing us back to biblical truths. And it's not fiction. That's right. <laughs> Definitely not fiction, not science fiction. David Reeves here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to David Reeves, R-I-V-E-S, ministries.org. Also from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB 2018, it's Andy Bowersox, co-founder and executive director of Energize Ministries. He made his way down to the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center from the Pray for Your Pastor bus inside the exhibit hall. He shared about the importance of prayer in our conversation, as well as the importance of pastors and church leaders taking time to rest. From that conversation, this is Andy Bowersocks. There's something that you guys have developed, and that is a lodge in the mountains. Uh Is it the the mountains of Virginia, correct? It's in the southern mountains of Virginia. If if you remember, we were just talking about how sort of one thing leads to another, and and you respond in obedience, you take steps of faith. And, uh, and when that happens, God opens other opportunities. So we now have a full-time, as far as I know, Bob, it is a one-of-a-kind preventive care refreshment center strictly for kingdom leadership. And so uh, we have about 700 acres up there, have a very private lodge in the middle of it. And last year we ran about 250 pastors through there. Mm, wow. Yeah, for, for several, like the, the four categories that we offer, and it's, and it's completely free of charge for, for pastors and other kingdom leadership. But we offer individual retreats, maybe it's prayer retreats or study retreats. We offer marriage retreats, family retreats, and then, and then staff and team building retreats as well. My goodness. So, so what's it like? I mean, you do a lot of different types of ministry. What's it like to actually operate a, a lodging facility? Yeah, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> I'm sure. You know, that, that whole entire program is another leap of faith for us. But uh, it's really been amazing. We, we get testimony after testimony. We've seen marriages restored up there. We've seen kids and, and uh, family dynamics come back together. And it's an opportunity just for us to pour again into leadership because we believe that leadership is important. Leadership equals healthy, healthy, healthy leadership equals healthy ministries. Healthy ministries equal a better ability for all of us to fulfill the Great Commission. So mm. care, and, care and pray for your leaders. That's our, that's our message. Well, we want to actually explore this whole area of prayer during our final segment of our conversation here. But what, one further note, when you talk about recreational opportunities for pastors, why is it important, as you see it, for pastors, church leaders, people that 
that do ministry to actually take time away to to be involved in in recreation well first of all it's a biblical commandment that's that's always a good reason god god created us for a, for a sabbath and we've really discovered that there's a rhythm to your sabbath right there and that rhythm can get out of whack yeah. and, uh you know so uh, there's a whole study involved with that but you know when you look at why why a sabbath time sabbath moments sabbath experiences sabbath days and retreats why is that so important even just on a on a general secular level, you know, there's a reason that we as a country spend literally billions of dollars on parks and recreation, because it's part of our human DNA. Mm-hmm. We need to wow, unplug. That's good. We need to we need to have you know what do we say all the time? A change of place equals a change of perspective, and so. As you know, in radio, you've got a leadership position there. Leadership at any level invokes the criticism of some, but leadership in the spiritual realm invokes an all-out attack and the pressures and the grinding down. You need to step away. You need recreation and refreshment time, and we're here to help provide that. Well, if we think about the commandment of Scripture, I wanted to, to kind of explore this for a moment with you. When we see the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, well, people equate that, well, going to church on Sundays, that is the the Sabbath. But there's a whole concept, and Hebrews talks about this concept of a Sabbath rest. Obviously, God, we, we see him. On the seventh day, he rested. Six days, he created. Day seven, he rested. So there's a, but there's an L, there's the concept that is so important to really grasp. We need to have that time of rest and to if I can use the word energize. We like that word in our <laughs> You like that word? Right you may have something to do with your ministry, huh? <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, again, as we just as we talk to the parishioners and, and people that listen, you know, we our challenge is find out what it is that energizes your pastor. Find out what energizes your pastor's spouse and their children. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's just going to the movies. Maybe it's an amusement park day. Maybe it's sitting in a in a rocking chair at a cabin in the mountains somewhere. But you know, there's something that you guys can do as a congregation to not just in October when it's Pastor Appreciation Month, but throughout the year to reinvest in the lives of your leadership and their families. It will pay off exponentially. And uh, you know, we often say that's our that's our calling to replace. So many times we're critical about things that maybe we don't know the whole story about. But if we can begin to replace that with true care and preventive care, it will ultimately make a tremendous difference through our ministries. Andy Bowersox here on The Intersection from NRB 2018. To learn more about the ministry, go to EnergizeMinistries.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through the website MeetingHouseOnline.info. There's a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more about that by going to faithradio.org. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, available through meetinghouseonline.info or through faithradio.org, there's access to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content 
including content from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info. Ron Hall is the co-author of the book, Same Kind of Different as Me, upon which the movie of the same name was based. In our recent conversation, he shared about some of the material in the film, as well as the response to it. That film is now available on home video. Ron is also the author of a new book called Working Our Way Home, the incredible true story of a homeless ex-con and a grieving millionaire thrown together to save each other. From that recent conversation, including material about his relationship with Denver Moore, this is Ron Hall. God impressed upon my heart that it's not the color of our skin nor the language that we speak that divides us. It's the condition of our hearts. And so I had to get my heart right, and Denver had to get his heart right for us to be able to come together. And we had to learn to trust each other. You know, this is the the first thing uh, that we learned through, uh, you know, Denver had never really had a white friend, wasn't looking for any white friends, and he didn't trust white friends. So he, he had to learn to, first of all, to trust me. When I would tell him that I was going to do something, uh, I had to follow through on it. Uh, and, and he had to learn accountability and responsibility for me as well, because he lived on the streets and he didn't have a watch. He didn't tell time and didn't really care about time. You know, he said, you know, I've lived my whole life with no place to go and plenty of time to get there. So why is it now that all of a sudden you're my friend, you tell me what, where to be and what to own time? And he said, I don't understand all that. So we had to learn to come together uh, to, 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 to save each other, as what, what I say, because he had so much to offer me. And then, then the truth, a lot of people think our story is about a rich white man rescuing this, uh, this homeless man. Well, you know, it couldn't be any further from the truth. I mean, this man really stayed fundamentally true to himself. Though he moved in with me after Debbie's death and lived with me for 10 years, uh, he was very true to himself and to who he was. Even though he became a millionaire, he didn't live like one. He still lived very humbly and gave away all of his money back to the poor and the homeless. So, you know, it was uh, just to, to be under the same living conditions was the most challenging because he had been living outdoors for most of uh, his life and then in all these 25 years on the streets. And of course I had been living in a home and, and even uh, his only form of protection was uh, his anger and his demeanor. And even the first second night that he was living with me, moved in my house, he couldn't stand sleeping indoors. He'd been sleeping outdoors for so long. He felt it was too confining. So uh, he went out to sleep in the bushes, and I went out looking for him, and he jumps out of the bushes with his baseball bat and takes a swing at me and tells me, hey, man, don't you ever try to sneak up on me like that in the bushes. You'll get yourself killed. And I said, well, Denver, this is my house. You know, I started, I hit the ground and started screaming, you know, Denver. Denver." He said, well, man. And he thought about it for just a second, and he just started laughing, and he said, wow, I just forgot about that. He said, it sure is your house. He said, welcome home, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was quite an adjustment, you know, because we were so vastly different. But uh, we were trying just to come together at that point and honor Debbie uh, and her dream to make a difference in, in America because her final words to me on her deathbed were, Ron, don't give up on Denver. God is going to bless your friendship in a way you can never imagine. And so this is, I was fulfilling my obligation to her. And it's a, and, and all the while, uh, Denver and I ended up, you know, becoming 
closer than brothers. We became best friends. Hollywood does not really understand faith-based films. This is a film about a godly woman who decided to go out on the streets of Fort Worth, Texas, and, and do some Bible doings. You know, she'd been in a lot of Bible studies, but Denver just told us, you know, too many people are doing Bible studies and not enough Bible doings. So she decided to go out and do some Bible doings and just started being the hands and feet of Christ on the streets to the poorest of, of, of the poor, on uh, the homeless, and, and those that were so afflicted. And this is a film about that. This is a film that shows that, you know, not all Christians worship one homeless man on Sunday then turn their backs on the first one you see on Monday. There are, there are Christians that are doing the work uh, and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is what this movie illustrates so beautifully. And when people come out of this theater, they are, they are excited and, and challenged to be engaged in their in their communities in their neighborhoods to making a difference and this is what this is all about we want this to become a nationwide movement not just a movie but a movement of where people are, are willing to come out and and the first person that they see want to uh, to show an act of kindness to that person so that's hmm. that's what we want to pe- change people's attitudes to give the homeless and the poor, a face that so people want them to become invisible. You know, Denver used to tell me, he said, Mr. Ron, you never know whose eyes God is watching you out of. And it's not going to be your preacher or your Sunday school teacher. He said, it might be a fellow that looks like me. He says, not me, but it might be a fellow that looks like me. And God is just checking you out to see what kind of Christian you really are. Ron Hall here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, same kind of different as me, foundation.org. Next up, it's Craig Evans. He is the John Bassanio Distinguished Professor of Christian Origins at Houston Baptist University. He's featured in the one-night-only movie presentation, Fragments of Truth, coming to theaters on Tuesday, April 24th. In our conversation, he discussed some of the information in the film dealing with the authenticity of the scriptures. This is Craig Evans now. There's a lot of biblical illiteracy today in our society, uh, not, not like we've ever seen, and that involves people in the church, not only those who are outside of the church. People don't know what the Bible is or even where it's come from. And then we've had some sensational and highly misleading popular publications and claims to the effect that uh, the Bible has been altered, changed, the words have been changed, lots of mistakes have been made, so that we really don't know if, if uh, what we have in the New Testament today represents what the authors originally wrote in the first century. So, you know, it's that kind of stuff. That's the backdrop. And so I talked it over with my friends at Faith Life Films and said, you know, we need to do something about it. Let's, uh, let's film, let's make a documentary. Let's go to the cities and the libraries that house the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament. Let's look at them and let's talk to the experts, the museum people, the curators, the scholars, and hear what they have to say about them. And that's what we did. And uh, I, I found it enlightening. Uh, I already knew a lot of stuff about the subject, but I learned a lot of things too. And, and I think the documentary well, well, I know it will. It'll help anybody, uh, whether they're a Christian or not. Anybody who's open-minded and wants to learn something, they'll learn a ton about how old the New Testament manuscripts are that exist, where they are, how they're studied, how they're preserved, and what they'll find out is they show that, indeed, uh, the text of the New Testament has been carefully preserved, 
the uh, the text is reliable. And so when you're reading the Gospel of Matthew today, you're reading what Matthew wrote 2,000 years ago. Well, and let's just camp out right there what you were talking about, for instance, Matthew and the authenticity of his writings. You know, obviously there are those that would want to call that and other portions of the New Testament into question. Address some of the compelling evidence that you discovered with respect to the reliability of the New Testament. Well, what we found, of course, is that the manuscripts really are quite old, and so when when manuscripts reach back within a couple of generations of the originals, the opportunity for making changes disappears. But the other thing, too, is that if somebody does make a change, if somebody gets a hold of a manuscript and decides to improve upon it in some way, alter its complexion, well, he can't control all the other copies. He's only in one place and only in one time. So how in the world could some scribe, motivated theologically or whatever, how can he then change everything and and different periods of time? He simply can't. And so when you understand the realities of manuscript copying in antiquity, and the fact that these manuscripts come from different places and different times, you realize it's utterly impossible for somebody to monkey with the text somewhere, and then the text gets changed everywhere. It just doesn't happen. The scribal mechanics at work, a lot of people don't understand that, including these skeptics who make outlandish claims. The scribes were paid to copy accurately. They're paid for each line they copy. If they, they are in no position to make changes. Now, sure, they make accidental changes. They leave out a word, and they have to go back and correct it. And that we see in the manuscripts. But the idea that a scribe would take on himself uh, the opportunity to alter the text uh, somewhat here or there, uh, that's only going to get him into trouble. The other thing that is very important to know is that many of these scribes in the first, second, and third centuries who were making copies of New Testament scripture, they're secular people. They're pagans. They're just professional scribes. They have no theological mm. bias at all. They don't know what orthodoxy is. They don't know that they ought to change the text for some reason. They don't know that. They have no motivation to do that. They're just paid scribes. They're paid to copy letter for letter, word for word, line by line. And they're not theologians. They're not apologists. And many of them not even Christians. They don't even know what to do except to copy what they see. And so when you understand the reality of scribal work in antiquity, you realize this whole notion that somebody is monkeying around with the text that's a modern idea that's not based in the facts of ancient history. Craig Evans here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the Fathom Events website. It's fathomevents.com. Well, next on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Ann Polk. She serves as the executive director of the Restored Hope Network. She's the author of the book, Restoring Sexual Identity, Hope for Women Who Struggle with Same-Sex Attraction. She talked with me about proposed legislation in California that would prevent the communication of biblical truth to provide help and hope for people struggling with matters of same-sex attraction. At the time of our conversation, it was pending before the California legislature. At the time of this podcast, it has passed one chamber, the assembly of the legislature. Here now is Ann Paul. AB 2943 prohibits not just counseling, that's the language throughout the bill, 
but it actually has a really broad application uh, in the bill, in the, in the restriction, in the Fraud Act. It claims that life change out of homosexuality is a fraud and that you can charge whoever's helping you with materials or counseling or resources um, with fraud and sue them in court. Um, so we're talking about a lot of litigation. Uh, one of the one of the assembly persons in the first committee said, "Well, this is this is going into the statute that's used like the kitchen sink. People sue from this all the time." I thought that was kind of fascinating. She admitted that right in how in the assembly committee. But the truth of the matter is, it would subject anyone who provides materials to the state of California residents to potential of lawsuits, and that would include out-of-state um, groups. It would include definitely Restored Hope Network. We produce documentaries, books. Many of us are authors um, and other materials, including online discipleship support where there's donations out-of-state. Um, that kind of thing, there are lots of different places where money changes hands, and that would subject anyone to a potential lawsuit in the state of California. Beyond us, there are many, many different ministries that produce materials that go into the state of California, marriage retreats uh, by Family Life Today, or pure, uh, pure passport to purity materials that cover homosexuality from a biblical standpoint would come under scrutiny and potentially be sued. Um, June Hunt, lovely from uh, Dallas, Texas, Hope for the Heart, she provides many materials for people struggling with all sorts of things. From a biblical counseling perspective, she could be sued or their ministry could be sued if it's sent into California and the sales made there. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, Airwave, uh, any advertising on the airwaves or through any other medium in the state of California could subject you to a suit. So there are all sorts of problems. And what it does is it has a chilling effect on free speech, first and foremost, and also religious freedom. So the person who's struggling with their uh, gender identity but wants to address it in a biblical way will be restricted from getting that information because of the potential for lawsuits. Um, same thing for someone dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction. That person will be restricted from getting uh, any care in the direction and the goal that they want. It's a matter of embracing his ways after experiencing the kindness and mercy and love of God. It's an overwhelming response of, I trust you because you have loved me when I was unlovable. And at that point, the most amazing thing happens. Salvation occurs and transformation of the soul begins. And the person becomes awakened to things that don't please God and, and begins to want to work on those things. And when that happens, it's really helpful to have people alongside of you who've been through the process also, who can encourage you in the next step or whatever. And that, that actually is essentially counseling on a lay, a professional, or a pastoral care level from a biblical standpoint. And that's what Restored Hope does. Mm. We assist in cooperating with the Holy Spirit, working in a person's life to transform them into his own image. And that may or may not mean marriage. Um, it generally means a lessening of homosexual desire, though some people continue to struggle. But it also involves understanding God's design for sexuality and embracing that, whether or not struggles continue or not. 
Um, what we've seen out of some ministries is that 82% of the people, um, even if they continue to struggle to some degree, a portion of those do, continue to embrace God's design for gender and sexuality after going through a year of, of pastoral care. And so once you understand God's purpose for sexuality and your role in that picture, it's easier to figure out how to embrace that. And that's the very process they want to shut down. They want to shut down information and help for those who are seeking it. And Paul here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website Restored Hope Network. Org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tim Witter, president of the Parents Television Council. In our conversation, he shared words of caution about the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why in light of the proposed release of its second season. At the conclusion of the first season, the main character committed suicide. Here now is Tim Winter. This is uh, a television show that when, you know, as a parent, it's it's could be your worst nightmare. I mean, it is a show that is um, entirely uh, uh, comprised of teenagers, teenage actors, who are uh, you know it's it's the high school high school children, and the the whole show centers on them and their their behavior. It's uh, based on a girl who is bullied and sexually assaulted, raped. And treated so horribly that she goes to, into such despair that she ultimately takes her own life in what is absolutely the most graphic suicide ever produced for television. It is just extremely explicit. Uh, you have um, a show that most parents never even heard about. Uh, 13 Reasons Why premiered originally about a year ago, the first season, on Netflix, which is a subscription service, streaming subscription service that millions of Americans have. And... While most parents never heard of it, I assure you most high school children did in mm -hmm. America, and millions watched. Uh, you had It, it was a, a show that just went viral among high school and junior high school age children. And after the show, which any of you, if, if you think about it, who is going to relate most to a television show centered on high school children? It's going to be other high school children mm -hmm. and junior high school children who are aspiring to be cool high school kids. Yeah. So, so even though even though the show might not have been thought out as targeted at high school children, that's who consumed it, and we know they consumed it by the millions. And after after the first season was released, the Google search term for "how do I kill myself" spiked up 26 percent, and that's worldwide. The whole Google search term 26 percent increase. So we know that we know that um, there was a consequence, but from, from watching that show. And even Netflix themselves have acknowledged the, the youngsters are especially influenced by this show because of research that they themselves produced. They hired N Northwestern University mm -hmm. to conduct research about the impact. And, of course, what their research showed was positive impact, more empathy, more concern about their, their students, who, fellow students who were being bullied and so forth. Um, and, of course, you'd expect – when a company commissions a study that the responses about that <laughs> company's product will probably be positive, uh, they were. But uh, what, what even what their own uh, uh, research um, admits for Netflix is that there is an impact, especially to its younger viewers. Netflix has to keep in mind that they have publicly stated that they're aware of the consequence of mm -hmm. watching this show. So if you are aware of the corporation that people are being harmed to the point possibly of even taking their own lives, because of your product, <laughs> you, you, there should be a heightened responsibility, sure. I would think. And, and we, 
we believe that Netflix has a knowledge of this, that they need to be very careful. As a matter of fact, we had, you know, there was rumors that the show would have already been out distributed by now. And there are rumors, even in the, in the media and the news news on the news media side, that the show might be delayed because of the public scrutiny that they're getting about the second season. So, uh, so, okay, good on them. They're aware. Now, what do they do about it? What we're calling on them to do, number of things. Number one, don't produce and release a show uh, until uh, experts in the field can look at it and say, this is something that is now safer than it was before, safe, safe enough for, for release. The first season uh, of 13 Reasons Why, Netflix had a psychologist, an expert in suicide, who reviewed this series and said, this is not at all safe. This should not at all be released. Hmm as it is currently and they they deny they uh you know they declined to follow that psychologist or the, the scientist's advice and then uh, you know the consequences happened but we're also calling on on netflix to uh, uh to provide to parents an ability to have much like a subscription with xm sirius xm satellite radio you can subscribe to the service have a plan that excludes all the explicit, vulgar, profane content and programming for a reduced price. So in other words, parents aren't forced to underwrite the content that uh, is taking the lives of children. Um, we're also asking Netflix to consider uh, using their platform for good. You know, there, there are a number of different things that, that Netflix could and should and must do if they are truly going to be seen as a responsible corporate citizen when uh, when the conduct of uh, of their products use is so is so uh, severe. Tim Witter here on the intersection. Learn more through the website parentstv.org. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of the Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand. You can also subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more through the Faith Radio website. And there are two blogs that are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.